for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. And so I want to talk to you today about returning to thankfulness because our society largely and as a whole has forgot how to return back to Christ thankful for the things that he's given us. Amen. So I'm going to do that today. I'm out of Luke chapter 17. If you want to go ahead and turn there, there's a story there about 10 lepers verses 11 through 19. Like I said, there's a story there of 10 lepers and Jesus heals them, and one of them returns. So, let's talk about that. Leprosy. These guys were lepers. Let me explain to you what a leper is. Leprosy is a disease caused by a bacteria. Regardless of what you think, it's not a disease that causes your body limbs to fall off or anything like that. It's a, it's a bacterial infection that causes sores and uh, decreases the pain that you feel. And due to decrease of pain that you feel, when there's an injury, that injury becomes infected. That infection turns um, gangrenous oftentimes. And when it turns gangrenous, then the limb may potentially fall off or something along those lines. Uh, but... The disease itself doesn't cause the limbs to fall off. It's a bacteria that causes a consistent degrading of the human body to the point where the body is crippled and mutilated and largely putrid and smells like death, for a lack of a better way to put it. I don't know if I pray you've never been around anybody that's been gangrenous or rotten flesh, but I'll tell you it is an unpleasant odor. And so these are, these are the this is the situation these 10 men were living in. They were living with skin rot. They were living with di disease and dysfunction and open sores, and they were avoided at all costs. They had no feelings, and because no feeling in their skin, I mean, they didn't understand that they were injured at all. Now, imagine if you could how grotesque a consistent, degrading injury must look. You guys ever hurt yourself first time you hurt yourself? You're like, ah, that looks bad, and you don't treat it like you should, and it gets a little more infected and a little more infected, and then ultimately you have to go to the doctor. It gets red and puffy and just sometimes even gross-like. Imagine not feeling that, and then it consistently just moved to a place of rot. What would that happen? What would that cause to happen in your life? If you smelled so bad and looked so bad, nobody wanted to be around you. You'd be lonely. You'd be unaccepted in society. You wouldn't be able to keep a job. Uh, Levitical law required that you couldn't even go to temple worship because you were unclean. And so you would have been displaced from anything that you are now familiar with that brings you comfort and joy and in isolation. And that's, that's a sad state of affairs, but that's the situation these 10 men found themselves in. They were lepers, and according to Levitical law, Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, it says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, 
and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. So these, he can't just wrap himself up. He has to tear his clothes so that people can see that he's infected. His head has to be uncovered so he can't put a hood on and people have to see that he's infected. And he shall cover his mustache and yell unclean, unclean, because the disease at that time could be transferred by touch or by breath. And so when they're saying cover your mustache, he had to just walk around or they had to walk around with their hand over their mouth to make sure that they're not passing on unclean air to other people. And cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Imagine such a life as this. Numbers 5.2 says, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. So they had no relationships, no jobs, no social structure, no ability to worship with their friends, very lonely. Their existence was a lonely one. Isolation, sadness, hunger, only being able to eat those things that people were willing to throw at them for fear that they would go too far get too close to them. There's a, there's a story. It's a, it's not in scripture, but it's a, it's a traditional story out of Judaism that a rabbi refused to eat an egg because the egg was purchased on the same street that a leper passed by the day before. That's how people avoided the leper back in the day. And this is, this would be a horrible existence. Amen. Would you agree with that? No hope. Sadly, most of us walk around with no hope. But they've been cast aside as nothing. All while yelling unclean, unclean, begging for anyone to help them. Removed from everyone. I, I tried to find ways to figure out how to say how saddened they must be. How depressed they must have been that not only could people not talk to you or wouldn't people talk to you, they were not allowed to talk to you. My grandchildren wouldn't be allowed to come see me. My parents wouldn't be allowed to come see me. I wouldn't be able to sit in this room or go to a grocery store. <coughs> it's a lonely existence for a leper. But Jesus. Amen. Let me start off in this reading. Verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, met him, and they raised their voices. I'm going to stop here for a reason, because Jesus didn't have to be on this road. It says that he traveled a road between Samaria and what? Samaria and Galilee. There were roads that they could have avoided Samaria all Together, And in fact, as a Jew, he was expected to avoid those roads. He shouldn't have been on this road in the first place. There were better roads. They were better prepared, better taken care of. There were roads that had more people. There were roads that provided better services. There were roads because of all of those things that were safer. But Jesus didn't go down those roads. You know why? Because Jesus' concern was never his own safety, his own comfort, or the people that he could draw as a crowd. You know what Jesus' will was? 
to accomplish the Father's will. And the Father's will will always, everybody say always, intersect with the hurting and the hopeless. So take comfort in that today. Before we even get started, wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, God has always found a way not to find, make himself comfortable, not to do things for himself. He is, through Christ Jesus, the ultimate servant, so that he could intersect his life with your hopelessness. I think that's beautiful. And so we need to recognize if that's his will, if he desires to intersect with our loss and hurt too, then what starts with intentional conversation ends in blessing because we're talking about intentional conversations right now. We're talking about prayer. As I start to have intentional conversations with God, there's blessing on the other side of that. And as we've said in the last two or three weeks, when I say intentional conversations, what I'm doing is I'm just taking instances where people talk to Jesus throughout the Gospels to show that a prayer is simply a conversation as though Jesus was sitting beside of you. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be long. It just has to be intentional conversation. And so I want to make three points today in regard to this text, and I'm going to finish reading it before I do. I'm going to start at the top. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Everybody say they were cleansed. That's important. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? It's a reasonable answer, a reasonable question. Was no one found who returned? who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Three points I want to make today. They're pretty simple. And the first one is the conversation itself. The first point is the conversation from 13b to 14, and it reads like this, have mercy on us. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw this, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. There's an exchange here in this intentional conversation. But this intentional conversation wasn't long. It was just purposeful. As we had previously discussed, oftentimes we have a problem and we need Jesus right then. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes I spent two weeks talking about the Lord's Prayer and how that's a framework by which we hang our prayers on. But sometimes we don't have time for that. Sometimes we don't have, Lord Jesus, we praise you in the name of the Father. God, you are holy, you are magnificent, you are lovely. Sometimes we don't have time for that. So we say these Peter in the water prayers, Lord, help me. This is exactly what they're doing. They're, they're giving a very intentional, though not necessarily long, prayer, intentional conversation to Jesus. 
because they had a problem and they wanted that problem fixed and they believed that Jesus, due to reputation or whatever, was the person who could solve that problem. Can I tell you, Jesus is the person that can solve your problem. And so he's like, these ten men are much like the blind, bar, the, the blind beggar Bartimaeus. The blind beggar Bartimaeus had one understanding. If you're familiar with this, he was in a crowd. He yelled out. People said, hey, be quiet. He said, I'm not being quiet. I'm getting to Jesus. He knew that that was the moment that he had, the opportunity that he had. Some of us need to seize the moment because we need to realize every miracle, listen to this, this is important, every miracle has a moment. But not every moment has a miracle. And so when that miracle moment presents itself, you better get yourself in front of Jesus no matter what you need to do to get there. Amen? So like blind Bartimaeus, he wasn't being silenced. In Mark 10, 47 through 48, he said, when he heard it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sounds like a very familiar prayer, like the prayer these lepers just prayed. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. You guys ever have faith in God and you're needing something from God? Somebody tells you, God's not going to give you that. You be quiet. Tell them, no, mind they self. This is my moment. Amen? And then it continues, and he kept crying out all the more in spite of them, son of David, have mercy on me. And what happened to him? He was healed. These 10 lepers seized their opportunity to call out too, and they called out in the same way. What I need you guys to understand in this little piece is seize your moment. Recognize that Jesus is available to you, that he desires to heal you, that he has no intent for you to walk around lame, crippled, frustrated, depressed. If you can just get yourself in front of Jesus and make that declaration, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Because he is a good and faithful God. He will have mercy on you. Amen? Amen? I'm trying to encourage you today and give you reason to be returning yourself to a position of thankfulness. In their moment, their conversation was intentional. Jesus, this is what they say, Jesus, which is a declaration of faith in God. Remember the Lord's Prayer, Our Father? Our Father was intentionally talking about intimacy and why we had the right to come to Him in the first place because He belongs to us, we belong to Him, we belong to Him through Christ Jesus. So we're making a declaration of faith just by saying Jesus with expectation that He hears us. So when I pray, I say Jesus in the name of Jesus. You know why I say that in the name of Jesus? Because the Bible says, whatever you ask in my name, you shall have it, according to John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do for you so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So they recognize first, Jesus. We have to recognize first, Jesus. Jesus is their intercessor, but faith was their attitude. Matthew 21, 22 says, and in all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. 
So he's saying Jesus, which is also a statement of faith that Jesus Christ is the one that offers the healing that they're looking for in their moment of need. And they hold on to that truth so much that they speak it out of their mouth. And even though between the short time they asked and the short time it was delivered, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, they held on to their faith as the evidence of their healing until their healing manifested itself. Some of us just need to fill our mouth with Jesus for the problem, for the issue, for the insecurity, for the depression, for the sickness that we have. Jesus is enough. Amen? When we call out on him in faith. So they say, Jesus, master. What does master mean? Master is a declaration of authority, of the authority of God. Jesus carried the authority of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Whatever the Father can accomplish, I can accomplish because we are one. And so he's saying... Our prayers are answered when we acknowledge God's supremacy. God, if you, if you can, would you mind doing such and such? You know, I'm just a measly old worm down here. No, God is master. He has the authority to. Do you believe your word? Do you believe that he holds the stars in the breath of his hand? That he knows your name? That he understands how much water is in the ocean and tells them where to stop? Do you understand that he created every mountain, that he created every animal, that he created you, that he knit you in the womb of your mother and had a plan for you from before you were born? Do you understand any of these things that if it weren't for him, the simple things such as just the grass growing wouldn't happen? He is supreme in all things and in him, according to Colossians, all things hold together. Somebody ought to say amen. And because I can believe all of those things, I could believe that he is supreme and has the ability to do whatever I've asked in Jesus' name according to his name in faith. So it's not a simple prayer. It's just a short prayer. It's an intentional prayer. So he says, Jesus, Master, I know you can. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, which is an expectant request or petition. Have mercy on us. Do you think they declared the name of Jesus with no expectation? Or master with no expectation? Then with that same expectation, they cried out, have mercy on us. Do you know you have what you have because of the mercy of God? People say, it's the grace of God, the reason you have what you have. Let's back this up a little bit. God is love. Because God is love, God has mercy. Mercy in action is compassion. And the compassion that that action is, is grace. So grace and mercy hold tightly together. So when I say, God, have mercy on me, I'm saying, God, by the love that you have for me, because I know your love is so great that you would take action on my behalf, I ask that you extend grace, favor that I don't deserve. And that's what they're saying. And I think our prayer lives would be much more significant, much more effective if we were willing to say the same thing.
Amen. Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. How did they know? How did they know to call Jesus? There weren't any televisions. There weren't any pictures of Jesus floating around Galilee. When he walked up, how did they know? Because his reputation preceded him into the room. People were talking about him over and over and over again. Four times just in Matthew 4, 23 and 24, 14, 14, Matthew 19, 2, and Matthew 21, 14. Three times on this trip to Jerusalem, which was his final trip, he healed. This is his third healing just in that trip to Jerusalem. First was one person, second was four people, and now ten people. His reputation was known. They had heard about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard that Jesus is capable of healing you? That he's capable of taking care of you? That he's capable of being supreme in your life? That he's capable of extending mercy, love, compassion, and grace to you? And not only that he can, but that he wants to, and he has done it for others. And if he's done it for others, and he's no respecter of persons, that means he must be willing to do the same for you. That's reason to be thankful. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Are y'all excited about that as I am? Because I don't know about y'all, but I need all those things. I need a Jesus. I need a master. Because every time I've tried to be master of my own life, I've jacked it up. I need mercy. Because I jack it up. And so they say a very appropriate prayer. And in their prayer, verse 14b, in their going, they were cleansed. Jesus said, just go to the priest. His answer wasn't, like he didn't make some big, great big deal out of it. He just said, yeah, go to the priest. You're healed. Do you know why he told them to go to the priest? Not because the priest was going to heal them, but because for them to enter society again, According to Levitical law, they had to present themselves in front of the priest. And so he says, by the time you get there, you'll be healed. They'll be able to say you're clean and you'll be, you'll be back in society and around your family and being able to worship and your life's going to be everything that you hoped it would be. But go see the priest. And on their way, they were healed. That's good. Mm. So that's where they're at. What about their response? That was the conversation. The response is seen in 15 and 16. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. That's so crazy. Y'all ever wonder why there seems to be some parenthetical statement inside of the scripture that you're all, what difference does that make? This and he was a Samaritan. Reckon why the Holy Spirit wanted him to know that. Wanted us to know that. Here's what I believe. Because the Jewish nine that were with this one Samaritan had a nationalistic idea that they were owed that healing because they were God's people. It's the one who knew that he didn't deserve it. Went back and fell at the feet of Jesus. None of us deserve it. Jew, Gentile, Greek, male, female. None of us deserve it. 
but by the work of Christ, all of the same spirit. We should return to thankfulness. Upon seeing he had been healed, one of them turned back. Imagine this, if you will. Sometime between Jesus' declaration and getting to the priest, healing happened for them. Happened for all ten of them. One of the things that happens in leprosy, one of the very first things that happens is for some reason the, the hair on your arms and legs and whatnot turns from brown to white. And so could you imagine just you're walking, you could take two steps and you're, you're still a little jacked up maybe. And you look down and for the first time in five years, you see that the hair on your arms is brown. It's not white anymore. Or you look at your arm because you had to rip your clothes so that other people could see your sores and you look down and this thing that's been there for three months that just smells bad and infected and gangrenous is just pure, clean flesh. This limp that you had where your hip has been destroyed straightens itself up and the marrow and the bones and the sinews all strengthen. Could you imagine how exciting that must be with every half a step, quarter a step, or it might have happened all at the same time? The Bible's not clear, so I'm not going to try to be too definitive, but I can imagine just walking and being all, wait, what? Huh. And the other nine were so excited they ran off to tell the priest, and the one couldn't help himself. And he ran back to Jesus. Hmm. Must have overwhelmed them. All of them, excited to finally be free of their malformity, their disease, their humiliation, pressed towards the priest except for one. And that one, his response was to return to thankfulness. His thankfulness took the right form, though. You guys ever say, you ever get a gift or something, like socks at Christmas? Hey, y'all, thanks. <laughs> Next, I have, honestly, man, I buy all my own stuff whenever I want it, so socks is just fine with me, but when you're like 11, you don't want socks. So you just give this flipping thanks, but he's, his thankfulness took the right form. And it's time out of reverence for the one who saved us, our, our thankfulness takes the right form. That form of reverence that form of true thankfulness, that form of submission. Amen? What did he do? Very specifically, it tells us what he did. First, he glorified God with a loud voice. He glorified God with a loud voice. For the sake of God's glory, God does everything that he does. Did you know that? Did you know everything God does, he does for the sake of his own glory? including your own salvation. Jesus didn't save you primarily for you. He saved you so that his name would be known, so that he would be seen as compassionate, so that he would be seen as merciful, so that he would be seen as loving. Everything God does, he does for his glory. And if that's his motivation, then when returning to thankfulness, it should be our first motivation. I can prove this to you in Isaiah that God feels this way about his own glory. In 48, 9, and 10, it says this. 
for the sake of my name. For the sake of what? My name. That's a capital M. That's God. I delay my wrath. For my praise, I restrain it from you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory will I will not give to another? It's pretty simple, right? God seems pretty serious about his name. For whatever reason, God deserves to be glorified, and he deserves to be glorified loudly. I love this. Everything that God does, he does for you for his own name. Y'all are familiar with Psalms 23. It's a favorite. I had, even before I was saved, my grandma made me memorize it, but it reads like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. These are the things my shepherd does for me. He leads me beside still, still quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. For what purpose? For his namesake. Everything God's ever placed upon you, he did so that he might be glorified. When we return to thankfulness, if that's his primary goal, it should be our primary goal too. And we need to do it loudly like this man. Don't hide it under a bushel. I don't know about y'all, but I ain't going to have a rock out praise me. Amen? And you shouldn't either. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. I feel like I could say it over and over and over again, but let your thankfulness take the right form. And first, that is to glorify God with a loud voice. Secondly, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. He took the proper posture. He submitted himself physically and spiritually to Jesus. Like so many others in Scripture, let me read this to you. Like the demoniac who recognized Jesus' authority in Mark 5, 6. Jairus who begged for the life of his daughter in Mark 5, 22. The mother whose daughter had an unclean spirit in Mark 25. The unclean woman with an issue of blood in Luke 8, 43 through 48. And Peter on the seashore in Luke 5, 8. All acknowledged Jesus, fell at his feet and worshiped. And we should do the same thing. It's not going to hurt us from time to time to be so thankful that we break down the, stru the, the structure of our own frame and get down on our face and say, God, you are bigger, you are better, you are greater, and I thank you that whatever I have, I have because you gave me. It's a position of submission. Amen. And in submitting to God, we show God is supreme. Mm. And then he offered thanks. Our thanks should be often and overwhelming. How many reasons do you have to be thankful? I mean, really, I don't need to an answer. I'll tell you, you have more reasons than your finite mind can comprehend, which is why we need to meditate. When I say meditate, I don't mean just, like I mean stop what you're doing. Find a quiet corner, and for an hour at a time, try to process the things that you haven't thought about in a long time that you should be thankful for. I should be dead. Physically, I should be dead, but I'm not, and I'm thankful. I should be alone. I've destroyed every relationship I've ever had. 
but I'm not. And I'm thankful. I should be hopeless because I don't deserve the grace and mercy of God because of who I was or who I am. But I'm not hopeless, and I'm thankful. I should be penniless, but I'm not, and I'm thankful. I should be of no reputation, and I'm not, because I carry the reputation of Christ Jesus, and I'm thankful. We all have something we should be thankful of. What are you thankful for? And are you returning to that thankfulness the way that you should? It's a challenge, I know, but it's an intentional one. I challenge you as Isaiah challenged you and as Isaiah challenged Israel. Isaiah in 12, 4, and 5 says this, In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. God deserves that we be thankful. And we have reason to be thankful. We have more reason than these guys. We don't have leprosy. Our condition was worse. We were lost. And so I want to talk to you about the final piece, the outcome. We've talked about the conversation. We've talked about him being thankful. What's the outcome of that? Wholeness. Jesus tells him, stand up and go. Your faith which was proven in thankfulness, has saved you, has made you well. If you look up the word well, it has very similar connotations to Isaiah 53, 5, where it says, and by his scourging you are healed. Healed and well. I know one's Hebrew and one's Greek, but they have the same connotation. That means whole in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, through salvation in Christ Jesus. God wants you to be healed. He does. I'm convinced. I've seen the miraculous works of God's healing hand in my own life and in the lives of the people around me. But I'm not so foolish to think that that's his only want for me. Because if I died 110 years old with the strength and the stamina of a 20-year-old, Because of God's healing, I'm still dead when I'm 110 years old. It's only wholeness that creates eternal life. And that eternal life in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive through Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. And that's worth returning to thankfulness for. I want us to remember, Jesus may have healed you, but healing you isn't his greatest desire for you. His greatest desire for you is to make you whole. And so 
I'm going to ask you a very pointed question. Whether it's healing, whether maybe you're already whole, but you need healing. Jesus provides for that. Or maybe you need wholeness because you've seen healing and came to realize that you have a deficiency in your life and that deficiency is Christ Jesus. Whether you need wholeness or healing or some combination of both. I want you to come forward. I want to pray with you.